so thankful for you coming out on a on a rainy Sunday morning. So thank you for doing that. Um, to catch you up up to speed, we've been in a series called Overwhelmed, and um, we've been talking about this. Today is a full month. This is our our fourth week uh, to talk about being overwhelmed. And so uh, the first week uh, in the series, we talked about the importance of our thought life, about um, what it means to really turn over all of our thoughts to God. And then the second week, we talked about hopelessness, just the feeling of being overwhelmed because there was no, no hope. And um, we, we talked about the importance of, of knowing that it's hard to look forward to a future when you don't have any hope, and how Jeremiah 29 brings those two to, to, together. Last week, we talked about being stuck, just that, that feeling of knowing that you're in a place that you shouldn't stay in. And um, today, I want to continue that conversation on being overwhelmed by looking at what God thinks about our emotional highs and lows. I want to start this by saying that, that words have a lot of, of meaning. No, no matter what language is being spoken, words have weight to, to them. And I'm going to give you some examples th this morning. So um, when, we, when we look at, at, at words, there can be some individual words or phrases that immediately relax us. They, they de-stress us. Okay, Some examples of that would, would be uh, the word unsubscribe. Um, we have some relief by unsubscribing from things. A word like declutter, word like unfriend, word like you have no new messages, phrases like buy one, get one free, phrases like the McRib is back. Okay, <laughs> It just brings you relaxation. Then there are words that can completely overwhelm us, words like cancer, or diet, or divorce, or insufficient funds, or out of stock, or the McRib is back, okay? So when we think about words, we have to keep in mind that Proverbs 18.21 even tells us the power of life and death is in our tongue. And so Charles Spurgeon uh, says that there is three evidences of being close to God. And I, I'm not going to make that my sermon, but I do want to give you those three things quickly. And so the first one he gives us is humility. He says, when you're close to God, you're going to be humble. And so Psalm 25, 9 says, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. So humility. The second thing that Spurgeon says is an evidence of us being close to God is holiness. So 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates both body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That there's going to be some things in our life that we choose to do or not to do because of our relationship with God. And the third thing he says that a Christian is going to have is some happiness. All right, And I want to reference Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. All right. So if we took a poll this morning and I ask you, do you believe God wants you to be happy? I feel that we would get a lot of yeses. It would be very high. Sure, God, God wants me to be happy. And so that's where I want to spend a lot of my time this morning. And I want to take a closer look at happiness, specifically in the midst of being overwhelmed 
And I want to start with the wisest man who ever lived. So I want us to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We've read this a million times, but I want you to look at it this morning through our emotions. Okay, let's look at it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. There is a time for everything, he says. The word time there means chronos. It's, It's a chronological clock, calendar, seasonal, momentous time. And so he's saying there is a moment, season, calendar, clock for every single thing that we face in life and a season for every activity in the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So when you look at at this, the word that sticks out out to me the most is balance. That Solomon is is telling us, listen, there's going to be a season and a reason for every emotion that you ever experience in this, this life. But you also have to keep in mind that there's balance to it. Is it okay for you to be sad? Yes, just don't stay there. Is it okay for you to have some anxiety? Yes, just don't stay anxious. There's a a season for all of it. So he covers a lot of ground in this text, but he hones in on a part that I want to look at this morning, and that is our emotional assembly. In this series, we've talked about thought life, but we haven't necessarily covered emotions, the language of those thoughts. Psychologists and sociologists will tell us that there is indeed a distinctive pattern at work in all of us. And the pattern is, 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 is this, thought, emotion, behavior. They go one step further and tell us that you cannot have a thought and then an immediate action. But you have to have an emotion about your thought that then leads or drives that behavior. So this tells all of us that emotions are pretty significant. They become the buffer of every thought and the motivator for every behavior. They sit steadily paced between our thought life. They filter a thought. We get an emotion about it, and then that emotion spurns us toward acting out. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this, that God has made the one as well as the other. Again, balance. God has made things for you to be happy at, and there are some things that you're going to be sorrowful over, and that's okay. Solomon told us in verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. To me, this means that God gifted us all of the emotions we have so that we can thoroughly express ourselves through every single season of this life. Emotions come and they go. They are fleeting. 
here one moment and revised each day of variation and orchestration of them. So there is a bigger statement at work here than God wants you to be happy. And so I want to challenge this statement, God wants us to be happy, and I want to insert this statement as a possible filter for all of us. Here it is. If you hear one thing this morning, hear this. God designed you to experience happiness, but he would rather you have joy because joy is sustaining, okay? Happiness will come and go, but joy will sustain you. Every morning at 7 a.m. on Sundays, I go to Starbucks. It's right here, and we're so thankful for it. I get the same boring drink. I love it, though. It's the same amount of money, $23.90. And so I take my cup, and I hold it, and I cherish it, and I smell it. I caress the cardboard on the outside. Sometimes I save it and make a wallet out of it. And I take it and I, and I drink it and it brings me happiness. But then at the end of it, after I've held it up and, and shaken every drop out of it, the happiness fades and I realize it's come to an end. And I settle into a deep depression. And you guys are so slow this morning, man. So serious. God designed us to find happiness and stuff in, in little things, simple things. We can get happiness. But he would rather you have joy. Because joy is sustaining. Let me give you some background. The Greek word for happy is kara. 25 times it's mentioned. It is where we get the word charismatic. We look at someone who has charisma and it's identifiable. We look at them and we go, man, that person is charismatic. Maybe they have a magnetic personality or maybe they're, they're demonstrative and maybe, maybe they're, they're so passionate about something. We go, man, that person has a lot of charisma. That word mentioned 25 times. But then he goes on and he gives us another distinct word for joy. It is close to happiness but still distinctive enough to stand by itself. It is mentioned 187 times and it is the word makarios. Okay, makarios. This word makarios refers to being blessed. And rarely in Scripture is it ever used to describe an emotion. It is a perspective. It is looking at my life and realizing I am blessed even though I coexist in being overwhelmed. I can be overwhelmed but know I'm blessed at the same time. They can cohabitate. But Makarios gives us a joy that is sustainable even in times of trouble. Okay, Here is what's important about this. Here is how makarios is defined. It is used to describe spiritual strengthening or spiritual perspective in times of suffering when there is no reason to be happy. 
that I can have a spiritual perspective that I'm blessed even when I look around at my circumstance and have no reason to be happy. This lets me look at my life and know that even though there is trouble, that there's an issue, that there's a problem, that there's a mountain, that there's a desert, that there's a kid, that there's a spouse, that there's a friendship, whatever it is that brings the tension in your life, there can be a sustainable joy of Makarios because we have a spiritual lens in our life and we're not trying to get through it based upon an emotion that we can cajole or conjure up. So let's look at the origination of joy for just a second. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And we're all bearing fruit we're all bearing different fruit. You are stronger in some of those that I just listed than you are others. Okay? Let me give you an example. Some of you may have no problem experiencing peace, but you really struggle with self-control. Okay? So you're bearing peace, but you're struggling with self-control as you continue to surrender your life to God. Joy is one of these. And sometimes as believers, we struggle to bear the fruit of joy because you're too busy trying to live life through happiness or find happiness or buy something that'll make you happy or go somewhere that'll make you happy or be with someone that'll make you happy rather than having Makarios a sustainable joy of God. So as a result, you can have joy when you shouldn't be happy. As a result, you can help others when you need help yourself. As a result, you can empty yourself when you need to be poured into. This is what joy, makarios, will do for a Christian. Now, I don't want to give you good advice today. I want to give you good news. And that news is this. Joy is better than happiness. Joy is better than happiness because joy can sustain you through a whirlwind of emotion. It will allow you to look at adversity and know that you can come through it and know that the other side, you will be stronger for having experienced it. It will allow you to know that you are in a season of being overwhelmed, but you will make it through. There will be a time to mourn, but there will be a time to, to dance. It's joy. So how do we acquire joy? Let me give you some quick things. The first one is this. Get into the presence of God. Get in His presence. When you neglect yourself the privilege of being in the presence of God, you negate the joy that could come to you. Let me give you scripture. Psalm 1611. I love what, how, how the author pins this. In his presence, he says, is the fullness of joy. The greatest dose, the largest potency is found in his presence. And at your hand, he says, are pleasures forevermore. 
Psalm 61, 2. From the end of the earth I will cry out to you, and my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Meaning this, when I'm overwhelmed, bring me to you. Because if I can get to you, if I get into your presence, it changes all of it for me. Why? Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. Do you know that you are instinctively drawn to what is miraculous and supernatural? You want it. You crave it. You innately desire it. It's why you're here today, because you believe that there is more to us coming together than coffee and conversation. God's presence is tangible and life-giving, and you are instinctively drawn to it like moth to flame. You want to be in His presence because you know and you've experienced it. When you get in it, it changes how you see the world. The second thing is to gain spiritual insight. The knowledge of what Christ has done will cultivate the joy in you. Okay, Meaning this, when the story of Christ becomes boring to you, when it becomes passive, when you no longer view it as something that is passionate, then the joy begins to dissipate in your life. The insight of what Christ has done and our role in Christ is what fuels that joy in our life. So the New Testament can be summed up in this phrase. There's no sin too great for God's grace, no habit too big for His healing, no label too strong for His love. And when you get that truth in your spirit, joy is the byproduct. You get joy because you know there's a greater power at work in your life. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, the ever-present help in the time of trouble. When I'm overwhelmed, I know where to go. I got spiritual insight. I know where the answer lies. I know where the peace is. I know where the joy can be found. Third this morning, you got to search for God. Search for God. Psalm 74 says this, May all those who search for God be filled with joy, makarios, and gladness, kara. So he says when you search for God, you get joy and you get happiness. You get the joy which sustains you and the happiness which revives you. You get all of that just by searching out the presence of God. That's how we do it. So let me give you application real, real quick this morning. Because maybe, maybe you're here and you're that person where you're like, Kevin, here, here's, the, here's the truth. I've, I've been into the Word. I'm trying to digest it, get it into my spirit. I've tried positive self-talk, man. I, I've, I've tried to tell myself this is going to end. I've tried to tell myself I'm going to get through it. I've tried to tell myself a lot of things. I've tried to tell myself to get up in the morning and get going and face it. I've tried to tell myself a lot of things. But how do I get joy? What, what, what's the practicality here? All right, let me quickly give you four things then I'm going to end today. The first thing, what can I do to live life with more joy is this. Get rid of the stuff and even the people in your life that drain you. This is a hard truth. There may be things in your life, I'm going to call them objects of affection. 
You got things in your life, an object, a tangible something that reminds you of a failure, a past, a former relationship, something in your life. And every time you see it, you associate a thought with it that becomes an emotion that drives you to a behavior that you don't want to have. And you got to get rid of that because it's sapping your joy. Some of you are hanging out with people. I'm talking about your inner sanctum of people who you live life with, and they're a bunch of leeches. And they sap the joy right out of you. I can't tell you how many conversations I have over a year's time from a people coming to me and saying, man, I just, I'm going to fix this person. I'm, I'm going to work on them. I'm going to work. It's, it's, you, they talk like they're a project. I'm going to figure, I'm going to put my hands on it. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to get it done. And the, the thing is, that person doesn't even want to change. They don't want to know more about God. So what they're doing is piggybacking your relationship and your joy and your favor. And in, in the end, it's just sapping the joy right out of your life. You need to cut them out. The people that you need to be hanging out with and having dinner with and having coffee with need to be people who speak life into you, who speak courage over you, who you leave those meetings feeling like you have just had a breath of fresh air. You need to assess the people that you've given access to your life, and if they do not bring joy to you, cut them out. Okay? Here's the biblical principle. Not everyone who is with you is for you. I think we can look at the Old Testament alone and look at that biblical principle that not everyone who is with you is for you, and we could pick out some big heroes of the faith who finally looked at their life and said, enough is enough. I cannot spend my life with you. And they walked away, okay? And so it's very important. The second thing is you need to have an identity check. You need to have an identity check. Here's the biblical principle. It is when we forget who we are and whose we are that we are, mo- are the most susceptible to giving up and making foolish decisions that sap our joy. If you're at a place in your life where you have forgotten who you belong to and now your identity is no longer in Christ, you have opened up your life to be identified by anyone and anything. When your identity is not in Jesus Christ, it's open to anything. It's open for you to be identified by your relationships. You you can be identified by your career. You can be identified by how much money you've got. You can suddenly become identified by anything, and you're no longer tethered to Christ who has bought you with a price, and that is where your identity should come from. So you lose joy because funds fluctuate. Relationships have highs and lows. Careers have exciting moments and boring moments. You, 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 you tether yourself to all kinds of things that, that don't have any business being identified in, in, in your life. Remember who you are and whose you belong to. Okay, the third thing, don't stay in a state of worry. Here, people ask me this a lot. Kevin, is it okay for me to worry? This is my response, and you may disagree. My response is this. When I look at Ecclesiastes, I'm going to say the word yes, that there's a time for all of it. As, as humans, we worry. We worry about our children. 
We worry about the mortgage. We worry about our health. We worry about the state of the world. We worry about a lot of things. Are some of those things, does the worry drive us to be protective? Yeah. Sometimes we look at our kids and we worry about a possibility of something happening to them and then we make a choice that protects them. That, that's, a, that's okay. Worry was the filter. Well, what if that happens? Well, I can prevent it by making this decision. Just don't stay in a state of worry. If you're that person that just camps out in anxiety all the time, it's not the way God made it. There has to be a balance. Season for worry, season for not, not worry. Time, time to weep. Time to refrain from weeping. Okay? Like any emotion, worry should be fleeting. Here's, here's the biblical principle, and this is kind of difficult to swallow. But worry is very close to being a form of pride. Here's why. Because it involves you personally taking concerns upon yourself rather than entrusting the full outcome to God. There comes a moment where, where you have done all that you can do and you have to then execute faith because you can't see what's around the corner. You have to use wisdom to do your part and make the best de decision possible. But eventually, especially those of you who have teenagers who are becoming independent, you, you say, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do every second of the day. But I'm going to have faith in God that I've prayed over that child. I love this child. God loves this child. And I want to have faith that God's going to keep them. Okay? So don't stay in a state of worry. Fourth, train your mind to live through the lens of joy and not happiness. Okay? Don't seek happiness. It'll come. It'll come over simple things like Starbucks drinks. But don't seek that kind of happiness or otherwise you, you, you've got to chase things. You've got to, you've got to buy the next thing and, and, and do the next thing and be with the next person. And you've got, you've got to constantly chase the happiness. Don't chase that. Chase Macarios. Chase sustaining joy. Here's the biblical principle. Your life promotion could be sitting right in front of you in the form of a problem. Joy can see that. Happiness will not. If you look at a problem just through happiness, it runs when it sees a problem. And it opens the door for worry and fear and anxiety. But if you look at a problem through the lens of joy, I'm blessed. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. And my life is blessed. Do I have a real problem? Yes. But God's going get, to get me through it. I'm going to learn something from this. I'm going to do well in this. I'm going to grow in this. God's going to use this problem. He's going to spin it and use it as a step to get me to the next level of faith. Right? Let me end with this. 1 Peter chapter 4. You'll have to read this for yourself later. One of my favorite teachings by this apostle is found in 1 Peter 4 because he gets really real with these people. If you look at it, it's, it's, it's a suffering chapter. He's talking about Christians experiencing this and that and how to do it. But then he gets really real in chapter 4. King James uses this, this word, suffer well. To suffer well. And it means exactly the way that comes out, out this morning. To do it like a Christian. That's what he's challenging them. When, if, when you suffer, suffer like a believer. 
Suffer like someone who's got some faith. That's what he's saying. He's challenging us that when we have a problem, to do it through the lens of Makarios. To know that we're coming out of this, and even though we can stand, this is why believers can stand at a graveside service. Five feet from a loved one who has passed and tell one of the best stories of joy about that person's life because of Macarios. It's not because of happiness. Two minutes later, tears run down their face, sorrow, but the Macarios is present. It's why we, we can say goodbye forever to people in our lives, but yet know that God is still good. It's why you can, you can lose a job and know that the Word tells us He will provide. He'll do it. It's Macario's. It's a sustaining joy of the Lord. So here's, here's my challenge to us. Is that we do suffer well. Not because we're living life through happiness and sorrow and the ups and downs and everything that Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, but we find something that's deeper and richer and fuller. It's Macarios. It's Macarios. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Let me pray with you.